see trees of green Red roses too I see them blue For me and you And I think to myself Virgin Valley Artists Association welcomes you to the Art Box, recorded in our beautiful Mesquite, Nevada, and sponsored by the Virgin Valley Artists Association. Our association has something for everyone of all ages. Come and get creative with us at 15 West Mesquite Boulevard, or find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, or on Facebook as Mesquite Fine Art Center, also on Facebook, the Art Box. Hi, Steve. Hi, Linda. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm so excited. VVAA Artbox Podcast is interviewing this handsome cowboy across the table from me, and I'm enviously eyeing his hat because I'd love to have one like that. Hi, Russ. Russ Westwood. Hi, Linda and Steve. Hey. How's it going, Russ? Doing well. And actually, this is Russ's second time behind the mic here. Um, we interviewed Russ in preparation for the Memorial Day Cowboy Poetry that was for the veterans. And Russ and Elspeth and I met at the Heritage Museum. We did that via a cell phone recording. Today we're all fancy. Russ has got a, he's, he's behind the mic. Had to take his cowboy hat off to get his headsets on that. <laughs> That's right. Well, Russ, I'm have a lot of questions in mind. I'm so curious, how did you ever start getting involved with cowboy poetry and writing writing it, correct? I write some. I mostly recite other people's work. Okay. And uh, part that's partially why I became involved. My great uncle is a well-known classic poet. His name is S. Omer Barker. I was involved in a talent show at one time and I didn't really have a talent, and so, uh, but I had recently learned my first cowboy poem. This was about 2007, and so I recited a poem called Pert Near Perkins by S. Homer Barker at this talent program. And were you in sixth grade then? Was that the sixth uh, grade then? <laughs> Oh, I wish. I, I was younger then, but not quite that young. So that was 2007. 2007. Yeah. And it grew from there. Uh, it did. I, uh, I, my wife and I were, were serving as missionaries at a historical site in Nauvoo, Illinois. And I was driving across the Iowa countryside going to pick up some materials. My part was I was in the maintenance and construction and drafting area, and I was going to a lumberyard to pick up some materials. And I heard a poem on the radio, a cowboy poem on the local Iowa uh, radio station there by a fellow by the name of Phil Kennington. Well, I immediately pulled the truck over to the side of the road and wrote down the name of the poem and the name of the poet. I later had my wife look him up on the internet and found out that he lived in Sandy, Utah, and they had an address for him. And I was just fascinated with this poem, so I wrote him a letter asking if he would 
kindly send me a copy of his poem. He sent me a, a copy of the poem and said, incidentally, I served as a missionary in Nauvoo, Illinois, in 1958, really, wow. which, which was uh, almost 20 years before, or no, 40 years before. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I I learned that poem and uh, and a few more S. Homer Barker poems and uh, and we lived in Mesquite. We were snowbirds at the time, but they have a a cowboy poetry annual cowboy poetry program that goes on here every year in February. My wife was volunteering at the theater box office with a with the director of the local cowboy poetry program. And she asked if I would be a participant in a skit uh, during their cowboy poetry program. And my wife said, I think he'd be happy to. And she also she mentioned, answered for you. She also mentioned that I that I had memorized a few cowboy poems, so I went to their next meeting and uh, and they told me what my part would be in this skit, and then they said, uh, "We understand you know a few cowboy poems." And I said yes. And she said, "Would you recite one for us?" And so I recited it. And she said, you have to be in our program. You have to do poetry in our program. That was our fifth annual program. And this year's program will be our 16th annual program. So wow. I've been in every program since. And most of those years, I've been the director of the Mesquite Western Roundup. Oh, that's, that's exciting. You said you were in Illinois as a missionary. Where did you, um, before Illinois, where were you? And did you play cowboys and Indians as a kid? Oh, I, I probably did play cowboys and Indians uh, and cops and robbers. But, mm -hmm. uh, but yes, we, we were splitting our time. We were snowbirds between uh, a little town in... Uh, Utah called Cedar Hills okay. in Utah County and Mesquite. We moved to Mesquite or bought our, our uh, spent, started spending time here in 2000. And we were snowbirds for uh, about 15 years before we became permanent residents here. So There's so much history in cowboy poetry. Wondering what drew you to it. Was, was it listening to all the stories about the cowboys and the challenges they encountered on the trail, or was it something else that really drew you into cowboy poetry? Well, it, it was the, the stories because basically cowboy poetry started out as cowboys sitting around the campfire on the long trail drives mm -hmm. telling stories. Uh, sometimes those stories even got a little bit embellished, but uh, they would tell stories and and pretty soon they were repeating the same stories and, and put them in poetry form so that they were easier to remember. Uh, as I mentioned, my great uncle is a classic, well-known cowboy poet, and uh, or was, he's since passed away, but uh, he has some very clever, I like, I, I tend to lean towards the humorous side of cowboy poetry, and uh, a lot of his poems have 
great humor in them. That's also what drew me to Phil Kennington. I recite a lot of Phil's poems as well as Esselmer Barker's. And yeah, the stories, the humor, the camaraderie of getting together with other cowboy poets and, mm -hmm. and presenting programs, kind of a brotherhood. Oh, sure. Yeah, Russ, when is the, uh, the Roundup this year in Mesquite? Well, I'm glad you asked. The Mesquite Western Roundup will be, we will do three programs. February 24th, we do an evening program at the Community Theater at 7 p.m., and on Saturday, February 25th, we will do a matinee at 1 o'clock and an evening program at 7. Okay, two in one day? Yes. And where can you get tickets? Tickets are available at the Mesquite Fine Arts Gallery. Okay. The Virgin Valley, I guess it is, Fine Arts Gallery, 30 days in advance uh, during the business hours that they're open. That's our, that's our main source of ticketing. They're also available at the box office one hour before any performance uh, of our show or any other shows. Uh, when the box office is open, uh, they're available there. They're also available online at mctnv.org. You practiced that before you came here today, because I, I can never remember. I just put that on our poster, which <laughs> our posters will be out in a in about a week and a half. Uh, we can only put them out 30 days in advance because that's when the tickets are available. So we will have our posters out and our advertising and our information on the community calendars and so forth. We typically... Uh, we started out doing two shows, one on Friday and one on Saturday, but our shows have become so popular that we had to add a matinee show in order to accommodate everybody that wants to see our program. I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe it's probably the most popular program that's performed at the theater each year. We generally sell out all three shows. Yeah, so listen to that, listeners. Hurry and get your tickets. That's right. Don't be left in the cold. Yes, definitely get them in advance, especially if you're interested in the matinee because we have people coming from uh, Las Vegas and St. George and Cedar City that don't really? like to, to drive home at night. So we, we really sell out the matinee mm -hmm. first because our average audience age, I would guess, is somewhere between 70 and 75 years old. So it's... It's old people like me that don't like to drive at night. See, I like going to that because I'm only 70, so I'm really one of the youngsters. <laughs> Linda, you're not even allowed to go. <laughs> oh, I haven't been to one, and I'd like to go. I'm curious, is it like an open mic session where you take turns telling your poetry, or is it a particular show? Uh, it's actually a, um, a kind of a program format. Uh, okay. We do programs. We do volunteer uh, programs where there's no there are no fees or charges. For example, the Veterans Day mm -hmm. uh, dedication program, uh, Mesquite Days. We do a program, and uh, we do programs in some of the local libraries for National Cowboy Poetry Week. Oh, I asked <laughs> if it was a show like a play oh, or if it's, it's an open mic session where they come up impromptu. It's choreographed. In mm -hmm. the sense that we have a master of ceremonies, our first act of the show involves 
poets coming up to the microphone and performing their poem while slides are projected on the screen oh. that reflect scenes from their poem. Mm -hmm. In the middle of the first act, we have a nationally prominent traditional Western musician perform to break up the poetry, about a 25-minute performance. This year, we will have Belinda Gale, who has won multinational awards for her singing. She comes out of Texas. Oh, really? So after, the, after our first act, we have an intermission. And then our second act is Cowboys Around the Campfire. And we're sitting around a campfire with a chuck wagon projected on the screen in the background. We have bushes and stumps and decorating the stage. And we're sitting on the stumps. And then we come up one at a time and recite our poem for that act. And then again, in the middle of that, our singer will do about a 20-minute performance of traditional Western-type music. That sounds fantastic. So it's a, it's about a two-hour program, and it's, mm -hmm. it's different than most cowboy poetry programs, which are, are like an open mic or just a, you know, one poet after another. We, we kind of have a theme, and, and we've done it this way for several years. It's been successful. Now, as you know, all three of us are going to the National Cowboy Poetry Roundup in Elko the first weekend, in first week in February. Yep. So what can we expect? Well, uh, you can expect a lot of people. I know that from, from people I've talked to. This will be my first visit to the National Cowboy Poetry Gathering, once known as the Elko Gathering when it originated. Uh, it's sponsored by uh, the Western Folklife Center mm -hmm. in Elko, Nevada. And it's a program of performances of cowboy poetry, storytelling, and Western music. They also have a lot of workshops. For example, some of those workshops uh, involve rawhide weaving, decorating baskets, poetry writing and music writing workshops. They also have, uh, uh, I think, one workshop deals with uh, chuck wagon cooking. I so, saw that. I wanted to sign up, but it was full. <laughs> so they, there are a variety, uh, a large variety of events. It's, uh, it's a week-long event, and something's going on all the time, on all the stages. But along with that, there are nationally prominent singers and poets that will be performing in concerts uh, that, uh, of course, you have to pay to get into, but uh, and those concerts pretty, sell out pretty quickly as well. Uh, for example, some of the, the poets, uh, Waddy Mitchell, who's one of the founders, will be there. Andy Hedges, who has a national uh, cowboy podcast, he's a musician and a poet, will be there. Yvonne Hollenbeck from North Dakota, very prominent female cowboy poet, will be there along, along with many others. Well, Steve and I are so fortunate <clears throat> to be able to take the ARC Box podcast there because we received a grant from Nevada Humanities and the National Endowment for the Humanities, which also helps to fund the Western Folklore Center. We're just super excited to go. Yeah, I'm excited. I've, I've heard a lot about it, and uh, 
and I'm I would like to meet some. It's an opportunity to meet some of the other poets. I've I've met some of them. Uh, Andy Hedges and Yvonne Hollenbeck. I met at the Heber Valley Cowboy Gathering up in Utah uh, when I was performing open mic up there. Waddy Mitchell, who's one of the founders, my great uncle, who uh, whose poetry I do, was a mentor for Waddy Mitchell when he really? first started perform for performing the poetry. So I'm anxious to meet him and maybe find out what he can tell me about my uncle, since I never met him, and he had quite a bit of communication with him. So, are you going to participate in the open mic session? Should we expect to? I, I will be doing uh, open mic and oh. also hopefully the classic. They have a one section for classic cowboy poetry recital, which I hope to participate in and do some of my uncle's poems. Oh, great. Yeah, well, we don't want to miss you. So we'll see you up there, though. I'll, I'll be there. Uh, we'll be following you around with our microphones. <laughs> <laughs> there will be plenty of celebrities to to follow around up there. And one other poet from our group is going up as well, one of our newest poets, Kathy Smith, Oh, who just female. joined our group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think I heard Kathy on Memorial Day, didn't they? Uh, you did, yes. Yes, that was one of, I think that was her second public performance. Now, I will say this, that there's a lot of laughter that day, and there was also a lot of tears. Yeah, because you know, it was yeah. about it was about the veterans, and there were some really heartfelt poems. Yes, there were, and uh, you find that cowboy poets are, for the most part, extremely patriotic, and you know they love their country, they love America, and so you find, uh, by definition, patriotic poems are not cowboy poetry poems, but you'll still find a lot of, of patriotic poems blended in with the cowboy poetry. Yeah, and it goes well. I think the audience appreciates it. Yes, I'm sure. And of course, what you guys did Memorial Day was you, you tuned it for Memorial Day, and that was perfect. Yeah, so we, we try, to, try to tailor each performance or presentation to the audience and, and the occasion. And I don't know that I've ever seen the classroom at the art gallery so full as it was that day. Yes, it was. We And we typically, uh, sometimes it's not full, but when we do mesquite days, a lot of the snowbirds are out of town, so we don't completely fill the room sometimes for mesquite days. But typically a, a program we do there will we'll have... Uh, 30 to 50 people. Hey, Russ, so I think we've got more to talk about. Well, I know we have more to talk about, but would it be time to break into a poem for us? I'm I not, could, are we I putting could, you on the spot? No, I, I, have, uh, I, I currently have in my repertoire about uh, 46 poems committed <laughs> wow. to memory. Oh, my gosh. Can you recite number 43? <laughs> uh, well, I'm saving that one. My newest... My, <laughs> My newest poem is uh, reserved for our show in February. Uh, do you have a, a Western theme you could mention? And I'll see if there's a poem in there that would work for it. Do you have anything about rattlesnakes? Oh, there you go. 
Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> well, let's try no, something else. No, I don't. But what, what's I, have, I have a lot of them about bears. S. Omer Barker okay. included a lot of uh, bears in his poems. This poem that I'll share with you now is called The Bear Ropin' Buckaroo by S. Omer Barker. Now, ropin' bears, says Uncle Sid, is sure a heap of fun and a lot more gizzard thrilling than to shoot him with a gun. I roped a big old he one time when I was young and raw. He must have weighed 500 pounds, and monstrous was his paw. He'd wandered out upon the flats for cow chip bugs and such. Them grubs and worms, they suits a bear like pretzels suits the Dutch. Well, I pertner didn't catch him, cause a bear can split the breeze, and your pony's gotta wiggle if he beats him to the trees. But that roan that I was riding, he was tough and mighty fleet. He overhauled old Bruin and my loop was quick and neat. I catched him snug around the neck and when he hit the end, I heard my cinches stretching and I felt my saddle bend. My pony put the brakes on and he sure enough plowed the ground. It pert near made me sorry that there weren't a crowd around to watch a salty hand like me demonstrate my skill at learning Mr. Bruin to obey my wish and will. Come on, old bar, I bellered. You're a wild and woolly scamp, but I'm the apparatus that can lead you into camp. At first I feared my rope would bust. I'd lose him if it should. About a minute later, boys, I wished the heck it would. That bear reared up and popped his teeth. Twas like a pistol's crack. Then grabbed my rope, hand over hand, and come right up the slack. Oh, I give a squall and swung my hat to slap him in the eyes, but a he-bear ain't no critter that it's easy to surprise. My pony tried to quit me, but he had a bear in tow, and clinging to the saddle was a load he couldn't throw. He got a straddle of the rope, a log, a bush, a bear. He wallered on his haunches, and he pawed the upper air. Old Bruin's paws and claws and jaws, they pert near had me scun, but my rope was anchored to the horn and wouldn't come undone. Seems like we fought for hours and I couldn't see no hope. Then Bruin bit my twine in two and quit us on the lope. Now roping bears, says Uncle Sid, is sure a heap of fun. At least I've heard folks claim it is I've only roped but one. It ain't no special trick at all to snag one in your noose. To catch is mighty simple, but it's hell to turn them loose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. I love it. Thank you. So visual. Thank you, Russ. And you just became a different person in front of us, didn't he? It, it, is, it, is, a, it is a performance. Yes. And, uh, and it hasn't always been that way. Mm -hmm. I thought I was pretty good when I first started out because I had them memorized and I could mm -hmm. say all the words. But as time went by and I saw videos of previous performance, I noticed that I was kind of mundane. And I, so I, and of course, I've uh, been involved in some cowboy poetry competitions and, uh, and you have to be animated and you have to throw yourself into it in order to really be effective. Yeah, you were sure animated, but you've yes. got that voice. Yes. Even when you're not, when you, when you talk to me, 
you're talking cowboy poetry because I can envision it, that voice. You've got that voice. you got the perfect voice for it. He does. Well, thank you. I, uh, I think I sound a little weird on recordings, but... Uh... <laughs> yeah, well, I hate my voice, too, so... <laughs> Steve and I are going to go see the young performers as well in Elko, so we're interested to see the up-and-coming cowboy poets. And I looked at last year's, I think there was a, a female around 12, 14 years old that won one of the competitions. Oh, really? Yes. There are, there are some youth, and we're really encouraging the youth. I, I'm, I'm the uh, secretary for a group called the Cowboy Poets of Utah, oh. and I have been the secretary of that group for about seven years now. And we have three young people that are part of our organization. One is a young girl singer. I, well, she was, when I first performed with her, she was about 14. I think she's probably pushing 18 or 20 now. And we have two young, very uh, good cowboy poets that were, were 12 and 13 when I first met them. And they're now in their early 20s and, and uh, doing really well. But uh, but most of the cowboy poets that you will see are getting a little long in the tooth. For example, in the last two years, we've had five members of our group retire because of basically age and ability to, to perform and just the desire. So we're always looking for younger performers. As a matter of fact, uh, we, we were just talking at our last meeting about creating an outreach program for the local schools where we would like to go to the, around to the, some of the local schools and expose them to cowboy poetry and find out if any of them are interested in joining a youth movement in the area for cowboy poetry. Oh, yeah, I think that would be a great idea. Absolutely. Last year we did a Get Smart with Art visual arts program and invited a cowboy poet to come and talk to us and recite a poem. We we invited Harlow Burkholtz. I know and, Harlow. Yes. Harlow was in the group when I first uh -huh. started. Uh, he has since uh, gone on to other things, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah, Harlow Harlow's a, a good man. So the, the kids uh, got a little bit of history about the old roundups that they did where they drove the thousands of cattle to Kansas City to market. Harlow recited a cowboy poem for the kids, and then they created a piece of visual art that, it was a collage, it was cowboy hats and cowboy boots. So they had great fun and they really, really enjoyed listening to Harlow. They all clapped when he yeah. was finished. Well, yeah, he, he, he does a good job, and yeah. I'm sure. Uh, cowboy poetry relates to the common common man. You won't find uh, grammar being an important, or proper grammar mm -hmm. being an important component. You won't find political correctness being an important component of cowboy poetry. It's just uh, good old boys telling it like it is and, and not worrying about what city folk might think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not sure we're going to see too many city folk in Elka. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Russ, do you ever dream about cowboy poetry? No, but sometimes I will recite it in my head. If I'm having a hard time getting to sleep at night, oh. I'll recite some poetry in my head just to kind of 
take my mind off of other things that are running through my mind. But I really haven't ever dreamed about it. Yeah. Do you ever get, because this happens to me with all the junk that I do, I'll get inspired in the middle of the night. And I don't know whether it's a dream or I'm just awake or whatever. I'll get inspired. And if I say to myself, Steve, when you wake up in the morning, don't forget to write this down, I would forget it. So I will get up in the middle of the night and if I've, I'll go write it down or type it out or something. Ever happened to you? I've never done that with poetry. I've done it with other things. I'll wake up and, and remember something that, that I either want to remember or it's important. Get out of bed, go into my office and, and write it down because I had an older brother who was a, um, an inventor and uh, he uh, would do that quite often. He would come up with an idea in the middle of the night and he would, <laughs> he would not only get up and write it down, he would then stay up and work on the idea. Oh my. So, so, that, so that he didn't lose any of the inspiration. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm not totally weird then. <laughs> no. The cowboy poetry is so visual. When you recite that at night, when you're trying to fall asleep, do you visually see the words or do you see the picture of what's happening? Or do you see a little bit of both? It depends. If it's a poem I'm trying to learn, I visualize the words, I visualize mm -hmm. the paragraphs and, and try to put them in their proper perspective, in their proper place. Uh, but typically it's just, it's just reciting something or thinking about something other than maybe a problem I was thinking about. Or sometimes I'll get a song going through my head and I can't get to sleep because this song keeps repeating itself and I really want to go to sleep, so I'll turn to a poem or two or three. And, and it also helps me to uh, keep my memory sharp on the poems. Oh, sure. Does Marg ever be your audience for when you're trying out a new poem? Uh, she does, yes. She... Uh, Matter of fact, I always try try my poems out on Marge, and and sometimes I get a thumbs up, and sometimes I get a thumbs down, and sometimes I listen to her, and sometimes I don't. Uh, as a matter of fact, she one day brought a poem in. It's not strict. It's not really a cowboy poem, but it's called the Hillbilly Love Poem. She found it off the internet. Didn't know the author, and it's a, just a little bit racy. And so she says, this is for you. You can't perform it in public. And I learned it. And, it. and it's one of the most popular little short poems that I do. And I do it in public all the time. And now if I'm in a group and I've finished my poems and say, well, you know, any requests, Marge will say, do the, the redneck love poem. I'd like to hear the redneck love poem. Will you do it for us? Sure. Okay. I'm going to, I'm well, no, I won't stand up because the <coughs> microphone... Typically, I, I did the first poem sitting down, so I, I was not animated in the sense that I would normally be. It's, it's much more difficult to, to do a poem and get in character sitting and without my hat on. But uh, I'll, I'll do the best I can okay. with, the, with the redneck love poem. Well, you know uh, what? If you want to take your headset off there for a second while you do it, no, that, that's, that's fine. Put the hat on. That's fine. There are not a, not a lot of actions involved in this one anyway. So. Would you like me to wear the hat so you can look? <laughs> That'd be okay. Uh, 
this this is the redneck love poem uh, author unknown if I knew the author I would be more I always acknowledge the author mm -hmm. of a poem if I know them I uh, it's very irritating when people recite a poem and often they will pass off someone else's poem or imply that it's their poem mm -hmm. uh, and and never acknowledge the author so that's very important to me and it's very important to cowboy poetry to to be honest and acknowledge the offer. I didn't I didn't write this, but I wish that I had. Okay. It's called The Redneck Love Poem by the Internet. Susie Lee done fell in love. She planned to marry Joe. She was so happy about it all, she told her Pappy so. But Pappy told her, Susie gal, you'll have to find another. I just assume your ma don't know, but Joe is your half brother. <laughs> so Susie set aside her Joe and planned to marry Will. But when she told her pappy this, he said, "There's trouble still. You can't marry Will, my gal, and please don't tell your mother. But Will and Joe and several mo I know is your half brother." <laughs> but Mama knew and told her gal. Just do what makes you happy. Marry Will or marry Joe. You ain't no kin to Pappy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. That's great. And coming from Missouri, <laughs> I, I get it. <laughs> rural Missouri, I should add. Rural Missouri. I have, I have kids, uh, daughter and son-in-law in rural Missouri. Okay. Where, where are they? They were in Higginsville. They just moved to a town I can't remember now. Okay. It's uh, it's uh, somewhere just north of Kansas City off I-70. Oh, okay. Yep, that's a rural area for sure. Yeah. And I have a daughter who now lives in Grand Junction, but she also lived in Missouri for a while. Okay. In, uh, yeah, you go 20 miles from my old home, and, and you can see couches on the porch, that kind of thing. <laughs> Wait a minute. Don't you and Ron have a couch on your porch now? Oh, oh of course. <laughs> <laughs> Conversely, Russ, that Marge listens to your poetry. Do you ever have to go over to the tap studio and watch Marge try out a new move? Well, she tries them out sometimes in the in the in our family room. Okay. Uh, she she no longer teaches. She since she's been the director, it's been too much to. She used to teach the jazz. Class. They have, they have three different uh, styles of dance that they teach and, and perform there. They have jazz, they have clogging, and they have tap. And she was the jazz teacher, and I would see her working up routines uh, quite often in the family room. But uh, no longer. But I do, uh, I do support her. Uh, I. Every every show in the last twelve years that I can remember, I have had some part in in their performances, either uh, as the sound man, uh, running a spotlight, as an MC. I've performed poetry as a filler act for them while they're changing. So we uh, we integrate uh, pretty well with one another. And she's director of the Mosquitoes? Yes. Okay. It's the Mesquite. 
toes. Oh, it's, it's interesting. Toes. They they used to get upset if people called them mosquitoes. Uh-huh. <laughs> and yet their logo is a dancing mosquito uh-huh. on their shirt. So I'm not yes. sure how that works. But Now that my husband and I <clears throat> live in Mesquite, we don't know what if we should call ourselves Mesquitians or... Uh, what what are we exactly? Well, you know, you go dance, so maybe you should join the mosquitoes. Mosquitoes, 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 mosquitoes. Oh, I like that, skeeters. <laughs> that would be from a cowboy poetry. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, Russ, if you could go back in time, anytime for anything, where would you go? Hmm, I would probably go back to my older brother's childhood days in Moab, Utah. I was born in Moab, Utah. My my parents were poor. Of course, everybody was poor. Uh, I was born tail end of World War II, and uh, things were rough for everybody, but particularly Mesquite, or Moab was not a, a thriving metropolis that it is nowadays. And uh, But I hear stories of my older brothers and sisters growing up in Moab, and uh, the things that they did and the adventures they had and uh, and kids just don't get that nowadays. I, I I was born there but I moved away when I was two years old and and I had my own adventures in the areas where I lived but uh, living back then and, and knowing my grandparents I I didn't know either one of my grandfathers they both passed away uh, but they were in that area matter of fact my uh, my grandfather on my father's side was the first sheriff of Grand County, Utah, and also he died during a jailbreak uh, as, as the deputy marshal of the town of Moab. Uh, he was filling in for the sheriff who was ill, or the marshal who was ill, and uh, these two prisoners had smuggled a gun in and, and they uh, killed him in their escape from the jail. How tragic. So I have a, a law enforcement history there. My my dad was a, a rancher, a miner, a carpenter, whatever he could do to earn a living back in those days. Russ, could you tell us a little bit about your personal life? How long have you been married, and where did you meet Marge? Um, Marge and I met in college. We've been married 59, or we will have been married 59 years. The day after our program was over, we celebrated our 58th anniversary while we were on stage last year. Uh, We've been married, uh, it'll be 59 years uh, February 26th. We met in college in Hawaii. Uh, mm-hmm. She came from California and I came from Utah. And uh, we met at a dance and went home at the semester break and got married. And We've lived in mostly in Utah. Uh, spent seven years in California getting a four-year education. What were you studying in Hawaii? 
Well, I started out as a math major until I first took my first college math class, and then I changed to physical education. Mm -hmm. And then I went to the orientation class for physical education and found out that they had to take a lot of detailed uh, medical-type classes, such as kinesiology and physiology and things that at that time were not of interest to me. Uh, later became quite a, of interest to me because I, be, I became a fire department paramedic. Oh, wow. And had quite extensive medical training uh -huh. there. But I ended up uh, majoring in industrial arts and taught school. I received my master's degree in industrial arts education, taught school in Southern California for three years, decided that teaching industrial arts to junior high school aged students who came from an elitist background and had no real interest in industrial arts was not what I wanted. And, uh, so I moved on, became a, a general contractor in partnership with my brother building homes and, and then uh, had always had an interest in the fire department and, and eventually made my career with Salt Lake County Fire Department. Life has so many yeah. twists and turns, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does. Yeah, I can I can understand the junior high industrial arts thing. I can my in junior high two industrial <laughs> arts teachers ended up both being my friends as I got older. They played golf, I played golf. But boy, they put up with a lot of crap from the kids. Not so much for me cuz my dad would have clobbered me. Well, I I loved industrial arts and I I enjoyed teaching it to the kids that wanted to learn, but 90% of our students came from a community of uh, whose parents were CEOs and lawyers and doctors and very affluent. And their parents, and industrial arts was a required subject in junior high school. And so that's why they were there, not because they wanted to be there. There were 10% of the kids were from the wrong side of the tracks, and they were the very best students. And that was the time when it was only boys in industrial arts, right? Uh, no, I had, I had some girls. Really? Uh, in, in, in the advanced or 8th and ninth grade classes, I had, I think, three girls in, in the three years that I taught. Wow. That's excellent. I remember when I was in ninth grade, I had to go tell the principal why I wanted to take basic electricity because girls weren't allowed to take industrial arts or even a class like basic electricity where I grew up. So that I find that just exciting that at that time girls were allowed to take that. Yes, that was that was uh, 1968 through 71, and that was that was kind of a, a new. Thing, you know, there just a few girls were mm -hmm. interested. Often thought that maybe my education was wasted because uh, most of the people I worked with at the fire department had a high school level education, but I, I ended up uh, being an instructor for the state fire training program through the Utah Valley University, uh, which was the only certified fire science program in the state of Utah. Hmm. And so I taught for them for several years, and probably my greatest achievement uh, in that area was being selected as a adjunct instructor for the National 
Fire Academy, which is a uh, subdivision of FEMA. Wow. They, they have a uh, academy back in Emmitsburg, Maryland, and they select uh, a few people from around the country to go around and teach seminars and, and workshops in various parts of the country for various fire training programs. And so I was, I was privileged to be selected uh, one, of, one of two uh, people in my department of 365 people that were selected as adjuncts for the National Fire Academy, and I was, I was pleased with that. That's quite an honor. Congratulations. Absolutely. Yeah, National Fire Academy used to be an all-girls college. Yes, it did. I'm surprised you're familiar. I, I, I dated a girl. St. Joseph's. Who went there, St. Joseph's. And I think after her sophomore year, they opened up Mount St. Mary's to be co-ed. And she went and completed her education at Mount St. Mary's. But we had some really good times. So you've been to the Ott House? It's the only bar in Emmitsburg. Uh, I don't go to bars, so I couldn't tell you. Oh, it was a good bar. Yeah. But right there, right there in Emmitsburg, beautiful, beautiful yeah. campus. Yeah, very, very small town, 10 miles from, from Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah I had the, had the opportunity to take uh, courses there several times, uh, specialized courses in emergency medical management and... Uh, course development and different different programs that they offered there. So yeah, that was quite a high honor. I, when you mentioned it, I thought, is he going to say Emmitsburg, Maryland? Yeah, I've, I've, I've spent, I think, five different uh, occasions back in Emmitsburg yeah. for, for training and, uh, and enjoyed it. Of course, visited Gettysburg every weekend while I was back there because that's a tremendous amount of history there in Gettysburg. Yeah, there's a lot to see in Gettysburg. Do you and Marge have children and grandchildren? We have five children, uh, three girls and two boys. We have 11 grandchildren plus one foreign exchange student that our, our daughter and her husband sort of informally adopted. Yeah. And uh, so she's our 12th grandchild. And then we, we just have... Just got our fifth great-grandchild uh, about three days ago. Did you? Wow. Congratulations. So we have a pretty pretty good family tree going. Your uh, middle name is? My middle name is Carson, reportedly named after Kit Carson, of course, the uh, well-known uh, trapper and frontiersman who's a, who's been a hero of mine all my life, and and so I'm, I'm proud to... Share his name. So, Russell, that leads me to another question. What were your brother's middle names? Well. I'm not asking you to remember all of them, but since you were the... Well, I can, I can remember them if I, if I just put them in order. My oldest brother, Richard's middle name was Elwin. Melvin's was... I don't remember my... Uh, Gordon was Lynn, Kenneth was Dale, Clyde was Dallin, and Blake was Lawrence. And they were named after? Or, or, did, well, you Dallin, just, or Dallin did you just was, get the good story? 
Well, I was the ninth of nine children, and they just were scraping for names when they got to me and my <laughs> brother just older than me. The older brothers mostly were named for uh, older family members' ancestors. Okay. And they ran out of family members, so they went back to... Uh, you got the some, exciting some, middle name, huh? I guess, yeah. <laughs> so, anyway. Oh, here we are talking about it. I wonder how many people younger than us even know who Kit Carson is. I don't know, but there's a book out there called Good Old Kit, which uh, is, a, is a biography that is probably one of the most accurate ones uh, about him, and I'd highly recommend it. Uh, it's uh, not Good Old Kit, Dear Old Kit. Dear Old Kit. Dear Old Kit, I don't remember the author, but uh, I... But I read it uh, cover to cover, and uh, quite a, quite an intriguing individual. We'll, we'll put a link up to uh, Amazon on our on your page when we release this for dear old Kit. Sure. Well, Russ, we always ask our guests at the end of our podcast what has inspired them this week. So, can you tell us what has been your inspiration for the week? For the week, one year. I think last year for my birthday, my daughter gave me a subscription to a program called StoryWorth. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it helps people write their histories. Every week you get a subject from StoryWorth in an email, and then you write a few lines, a paragraph, or three pages about whatever the subject was in StoryWorth. For example, one a couple of weeks ago was if you could pick any talent in the world, what would you select? Well, one for this week was who was the wisest person that you know? I thought about that. Actually, it came a couple of weeks ago and I hadn't really been able to come up with an answer. I finally decided that all of my older brothers were some of the wisest people that I knew, all of them quite accomplished in their fields. Only one of them had a, a college education other than myself, but all very successful and, and inspired me. And, uh, and I think about their dedication, their hard work. And the bottom line was that, that the wisest, or at least one of the wisest people that I knew was my mother. Uh, she was widowed at, at uh, 53. I was nine years old when my father died, and, and my mother supported my brother and I on a very meager Social Security and veterans pension, less than $400 a month. And we never wanted for food, we never wanted for clothing or shelter or comfort. She was just taught us by example. She never never lectured to us. She never sat us down and laid down the law. She just taught us by example. And and I think that a lot of my older brother's success, as well as mine, came from that example of my mother. Well, she obviously did a good job. Absolutely. She did. None of us ended, well, one of them ended up in jail for one night for a, for a a fight that he was in. But other than that, none of us spent any time in prison. Nobody's disowned us, so I, I think we turned out right. And, and of course, 
my dad was a, a great example as well, but uh, uh, mostly for my older brothers because I wasn't around yeah. nearly as much as, as they were. Your mother sounds like somebody I would have loved to have met. Well, she she was a friend to everybody. Mm -hmm. I could tell that. That she met. She she would, uh, even though she, she didn't have money, but she, yet when I built my first home, she had plenty in savings to loan me enough money to pay cash to buy the building lot for my first home. Uh, she would bake bread once a week and have me take it to different neighbors. She would do anything for anybody that she was capable of. She she just uh, didn't have a, a a mean or she di just didn't li dislike anybody. She she was never mean to anybody, and I never never heard her say anything that ever approached a swear word. What a wonderful memory that you have of your mother. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with us. Sure. Well, Russ, thank you for being on our show today, and okay. we'll let you take your cowboy hat home with you. But well, not yet. Not yet, Linda. <laughs> not yet? We've got one more poem coming to us. Remember, oh, that's we, right. We contracted them for three poems. <laughs> well, remember, that cost us an extra $10,000 yes, out of our budget. Yes, yes. <laughs> A email that comes out daily, weekly, or monthly that you can subscribe to, and it's called Your Daily Poem, and a Cowboy poet friend of mine suggested that I submit some poems to this lady that edits this, and, and she publishes a poem every day and sends it out on email to everybody that subscribes. So I just submitted five short poems that I had written to, to her to see if maybe she would like one of them. And, and I received an email back today that she gave me the dates that she's going to publish uh, Four of my five poems. Oh, oh great! On, on her, uh, on her email, uh, your daily poem. Uh, a lot of, uh, very few of them are cowboy poems. They're free verse and, and a lot of stuff that really doesn't appeal to me. But I was, I was happy that she selected some. So I'll, I'll take one of those short poems that that I wrote. It's actually originated from a joke I heard years ago, and it's called the perfect man. Uh-oh. I like this already. Continue. <laughs> Twas in a little country church where we was congregated. The preacher, he was on a roll and had us captivated. He said, all men have their weakness. Of this we can agree. If we would but confess our sins, the truth would set us free. Are there any here among us who can honestly declare that they are near perfection? Are there any anywhere? From in the back a hand was raised by a rancher, tan and old. The preacher, he was caught off guard. Could someone be that bold? Are you saying that you're perfect and you never done no wrong? Oh, I've done my share of cussing and I've done it all along. I raised my hand in proxy. Only perfect man I know has to be my wife's first husband, as she often tells me so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> thank you for sharing that with us. <laughs> Russ, and thank you for being here. Well, you're welcome. I, I enjoy it. And, uh, it. It's always great. Here's another one of our... Just, just our, end with a plug for our show. Yes. February 24th and 25th 
at the Mesquite Community Theater and buy your tickets early because they sell out fast. All right, you guys heard oh, that. That was in a little bit of a poem form there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Russ, well, thank you so much. And we'll see you in Elko. Okay, great. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Russ. Bye now. Thank Bye. You. Broadcasting from Mesquite, Nevada, in the scenic Mojave Desert, the Art Box sponsors thank you for listening. To find our next and past podcasts, find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, where all accompanying images and links are available on the Art Box page. Questions, comments, opinions, and concerns can be sent to artboxvv at gmail.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of its hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Virgin Valley Artists Association.